market rate, £3,000 a day. Were you signing Lionel Messi? This is First Minister's questions. Just once, just once, it would be nice to get a First Minister's answer. For Douglas Ross to stand there and talk about losing grip of a party when he has been leader, the Conservatives have had the longest attempted coup in Scottish political history. The Steamy, a laudable production for the Scotsman. Hello and welcome to The Steamy, the Scotsman's political podcast. My name's Connor Matchett. I'm the deputy political editor at the paper. And with me this week is Alistair Grant, our political editor. There's only one story in town today, Alistair, isn't there? And that is the extraordinary, unprecedented, whatever word or synonym from the thesaurus.com you can find, personal statement from Michael Matheson, which is the end, in inverted commas, of the row over an £11,000 expenses bill. We briefly touched on this last week, but for those who haven't been paying attention for every twist and turn, get us up to date with the bare facts, <laughs> if you can. <laughs> OK, so this story relates to an £11,000 data roaming charge on Michael Matheson's parliamentary iPad that he incurred, or his iPad incurred, when he was on a family hot, well, that's, Sorry. An, that's an important point for know, what's coming. I, I'm just enjoying the uh, the image of an iPad, like personally going and uh, when surfing the web. He was on a family holiday in Morocco over the the New Year period just passed, so between the 27th of December and January 3rd this year, and there was a lot of questions when this story initially emerged. It came out because it was published as part of his parliamentary expenses, which are kind of available for for the public to see. And there's a bunch of stories in this that people probably remember and Michael Matheson came out in the back of it, initially said that this was basically incurred in kind of parliamentary work. He was carrying out parliamentary work and he had basically not switched the device to the new data provider that Holyrood was using. So he'd been hit by these huge data roaming charges and he initially wanted to pay £3,000 of that cost using his expenses budget and the Scottish Parliament would pick up the rest. And there was huge outcry about why taxpayers should be picking up any of this money. And obviously, this is all taxpayers' money. So he eventually, at the end of last week, came out and said that he would foot the entire bill himself and that he would reimburse it. And there has been ongoing questions since then. Uh, I think he might have hoped that the story would kind of disappear at that point or at least quieten down. But there was ongoing questions about how he'd managed to rack up that bill in the first place, why for the last, you know, the best part of a year he's been of the opinion that the Parliament should foot the bill. It's obviously an extraordinarily huge data roaming charge to be hit with. And then today we had, like you said, an extraordinary statement in Holyrood. I've never seen anything like it. I don't think I'll ever forget it, to be honest, in which he stood up in Parliament, you know, visibly emotional. It looked like he was about to start crying. He was on the verge of an emotional breakdown at one point, I think. Um, where he essentially admitted that this bill had been incurred because his two teenage sons had watched football using the iPad's data while they were on holiday in Morocco. Mm-hmm. He said he became aware of this on Thursday evening last week. They'd come home basically after the story had initially hit the headlines and his wife had told him about the kind of use, the kind of family use of the iPad's data. So he had said that he hadn't come forward and said this in the days following Thursday because he was trying to protect his sons. He didn't want to drag them into the, the political debate and kind of make them part of this story. So he hadn't included it in that statement that he'd released on Friday when he said that he'd pay back the full amount. Effectively, he said that he decided to pay back the amount after learning this. 
I think the problems with this, in fact, well, the major problem with it is, mm. I think there is obviously sympathy for someone, you know, anyone who's got kids knows that these things happen or things like them happen. It's obviously an extraordinary situation, but there is sympathy in that regard. I think where he's on extremely shaky terrain and continues to be, and I think there's a widespread ex expectation that this is not the end of the matter at all, is that he has been, you know, at best dishonest about this in the days that followed. I mean, I asked him on Monday when he was in an event at Greater NHS Greater Glasgow in Clyde, uh, I asked him point blank if there'd been any personal use in the iPad and he said no. And at that point he'd known for a few days that yeah. his two teenage sons had watched football using the iPad's data. So that was just a completely dishonest answer. It's a lie. It is effectively a lie, yeah. And I think there are huge questions about that. I mean, if he is prepared to come out and give an answer like that to the media, and he's a senior SNP minister. He's the health secretary. He's one of the most important cabinet ministers mm -hmm. there is. Mm -hmm. I just think that leaves huge questions. And I think his position is, is extremely shaky. I would keep, keep your eye on the next couple of days, to be honest. Absolutely. I mean, I, honestly, this story has moved to the point where, you know, we could see a resignation before this podcast even goes out because of the pressure that is being absolutely piled on, on onto Michael Matheson. It's worth remembering as well that he sits directly next to Hamza Youssef at First Minister's Questions, as he did today, um, when Hamza Youssef was asked repeatedly by Douglas Ross about this, this scandal. He is one of the triumvirate of ministers who control the Scottish government week in, week out. Health is the biggest budget in the Scottish government. He is arguably the most senior minister in terms of public service delivery that the government has. And he has demonstrated in the last week a serious error of judgment. And that's certainly what the opposition will say going forward. The key question, isn't it, is can you have a cabinet minister who has lied to the press and asked his first minister to go out and defend a false account in government? And can he, can he stay there? Because that's, that's worth remembering as well, is that Hamza Youssef last week on Friday said the expense was a legitimate one. He said that Michael Matheson shouldn't have to pay it back. Earlier this week, he was, you know, saying um, that this, the, the matter was closed and that there didn't merit any further investigation. Michael Matheson has ruined his boss's week, never mind his own. I mean, do you see any way out of this for Michael Matheson other than what it sounds like it might be, which is him toughing it out and hoping that the MSP code of conduct and an investigation by the Scottish parliamentary corporate body will get him out of it? I mean, I think, yeah, there is, you know, in the extraordinary world of modern politics, we're, we're quite used to people just toughing out mm. situations quite brazenly. So I suppose there is a route he could go down where he just decides to take this and just cope with the, frankly, terrible fallout of this and just brazen it out. And, you know, the worst the Tories can do, for example, is to table their threatened motion of no confidence. Mm. There's obviously that SNP Green power sharing agreement, so they would be expected to, you know, Matheson wouldn't, wouldn't be at risk from that, you would have thought. And that would basically be used by the government to say, look, this issue has been discussed in Parliament. There was a yeah. vote of no confidence. Uh, Michael Matheson won it. And that's the end of the matter as far as they're concerned. But I think the problem is, yeah, that he has been, his answers have been dishonest about this. And I think that just creates huge problems going forward. There is an expectation in your dealings with politicians and particularly, you know, cabinet secretaries, but to be honest, your dealings with any politician that there will be spin, there will be, People, you know, going around the houses and questions, they'll try and avoid answering it. They'll answer it in slippery ways. 
But to outright say something that isn't true and to knowingly say it crosses a line that it's quite hard to come back from. And let's remember as well, the last SNP figure to be accused of lying to the press was Murray Foote. <laughs> he was asked about membership numbers. He gave a number in good faith, it should be said, to the press that turned out to be wildly wrong and then went on to effectively denigrate the reporting of, of the truth. Yeah. Murray Foote being the former head of press for the SNP, who is now their chief executive. Correct. And he felt that he had crossed the line. Obviously, he's a former journalist as well, but he felt he'd crossed the line unwittingly misleading the press. I mean, that sets a standard for the SNP internally, never mind, you know, the government. But you're right. I mean, we, you know, we'll ask special advisors and communications staff and politicians direct questions, which we get non-answers to all the time, but it's it's crossing a line to, to, to lie to, it, to us and, you know, to, by extension, lie to the public. I think there are also unanswered questions about the timeline of this in terms of, you know, Michael Matheson, I think, became aware of this huge data bill in January. I can understand why he's saying in his statement that he didn't understand why it was so high, but it was so extraordinary, extraordinarily high on specific days that it seems remarkable that more questions weren't asked about this at the time. It's particularly unremarkable, actually, when you, when you recognise that, by his own account, he had his son help him set up the hotspot. So he knew that his sons, or you know, at least one of them, knew that the hotspot was available and could be used. It raises questions as to whether or not this has been a common practice within the Matheson household in the past, if you know, it's accepted that the, the parliamentary iPad hotspot can be used by the children. But you question why he didn't go, oh, well, yeah, my, my kid helped me set that up and all I've done is send some emails. Why? What's the explanation here? Because the sheer amount of data, it's not a lot in modern standards. It really isn't a lot in modern standards. You know, a lot of people have contracts that are 30 gigabytes of data and they'll run through that in, in, a, in a month. But abroad, it is a lot of data. It's at least, it's not just emails. He must have known it was not just emails. And it's a big question of his judgment that he didn't ask harder questions of his own family. I think there's also a question of his judgment that he ever thought it was appropriate for taxpayers to foot this bill, considering yeah. even on the original narrative that came out when this story broke, he you know, pretty much accepted that he had not updated his SIM card mm. in the iPad. He hadn't updated the device to the new data provider when he should have done. Yeah. So if it's your own mistake, why should taxpayers be left with this bill? On the back of that. And do, do we think that he's misled Parliament by claiming the expense claim was legitimate? Because it's worth outlining the fact that that office expenses claim is an expenses claim to the Parliament. It's effectively the Parliament paying itself in regards to this bill. But he would have to have made an assurance that that was an, an acceptable and a legitimate claim. Do we think he's misled Parliament? Is he open to that charge? Well, I think that the charge in these things is always whether you knowingly misled it. If we're taking his narrative at face value, which of course we usually do with politicians or with cabinet secretaries that are giving a statement to parliament, then if he's saying that he only found out about this on Thursday evening, I think he can kind of, he can say that he never came back to parliament and said it was for personal use after that date. I think, you know, to go back to it, I think the problem is that he certainly misled the media. Yeah. Deliberately. Yeah. And that's, you know, we are there, you know, at our most pompous, we are there to ask questions on behalf of the public. <laughs> so, I mean, if you, but in all seriousness, if you can't do that, and if you can't accept that what you're hearing back is what that person knows at any given time, 
then the whole thing just becomes a complete charade. Yeah, and it's a, it becomes a farcical experience for everyone involved. And, and it's worth as well pointing out how hard the SNP were on the Conservative Party in Westminster during not suggesting that an £11,000 expenses bill is equivalent to the scale of the wrongdoing in Downing Street during Partygate. But despite mounting evidence, you had politicians repeatedly, if not lying, certainly spinning beyond the possibility of truth what happened. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the SNP were furious about that, and rightly so, you know, called called the government out for, for what it was. Yeah, I mean, if this was any other politician, any other party, the SNP would be leading calls for them to resign. And they know that themselves. You can see, you can just see that from their behaviour today. I mean, it's just... I mean, the fa- some of the faces on some of the advisors today and in the last week have been pictures of, we know this is a dodgy ground that we're stood on. It's just pure... It's, it's politics, and I don't mean that in a good way. No. Let's get to the nub of it, right? So Michael Matheson so far appears to be choosing to tough it out. A senior SNP source said to me, described the personal statement as Michael Matheson just threw himself on the mercy of the chamber and were about to find out if they have any. Which they don't. Which they don't. So when does he go? Well, yeah, I don't... I think politics is just hard to predict when it comes to these kind of things. I mean, I, I would have thought that this will be extremely hard for him to tough out because I just don't think it's going to go away. I think it's going to make his job very hard. We're going into winter where the role of the health secretary becomes incredibly important. We know the problems in NHS. You can't have these kind of things distracting you and hanging over your head whenever you make a media appearance. I mean, I think part of the problem is that people do just get bored of stories as well, though. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eventually, people will get bored of asking these questions. The public will get bored of reading about it. Mm -hmm. And in these modern times, newspapers can tell when the public gets bored of something Mm -hmm. because you see it on your website in real time. So I guess that could work in his favour. I don't think it's going to be easier for him at all to tough this out. And I would imagine that there will be more developments in this in the coming days. And it's worth just briefly speculating wildly. So let's speculate wildly. Michael Matheson loses a job. Who replaces him as health secretary? Some people suggesting Angela Constance, who's the current justice secretary. There's potentially a route back. I think I joked with with one SNP politician today for... Nicola Sturgeon in the same mould of David Cameron's return to government down south. <laughs> oh, there's always, you know, I mean, did Hamza Yusuf not make some kind of comment in the past about how Kate Forbes needed a public service delivery role? He did. To kind of prove her muster. Could this Kate could Forbes. be the perfect opportunity for Kate Forbes. It would seem like a strange move, but uh, you never know. I think Angela Constance is a good shout. She's an obvious choice in some ways. She was previously, I think I'm writing the drugs minister, so she's got this, she's got experience in this area. Yeah, I mean, I think it would make sense. You've got two former health secretaries in the top team, both at FM and DFM. You've got a former health secretary and first minister on the back benches. You know, you've got plenty of talent to, to, to choose from in regards of health. I doubt Hamza Youssef will take it on himself, but you never know. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's the, I mean, health secretary is one of these roles that it can really destroy a Make politician. It. Yeah. It's incredibly tough. And I think the problem... I mean, part of the problem is obviously that Hamza Yusuf and Michael Matheson are are mates, they're allies. He doesn't want to get rid of him for that reason. He trusts him, he likes him, they're political allies. He just does not want to get rid of him. The second problem is that getting rid of a health secretary in November, when you're approaching, you know, an NHS that is on its knees, still recovering from COVID. We've had all these warnings about the state of the NHS, the need for reform, just the internal chaos that would cause. I think he probably wants to avoid at all costs as well. 
I can understand the logic for clinging on, if at all possible. We'll just see if it is possible. And it's worth also stating that I think most MSPs in this building and certainly parts of government will say that Michael Matheson is a decent bloke. I don't think he rubs people up the wrong way in the way that some politicians in this building do. And he's also viewed as an effective, if uninspiring, political operator when it comes to government. It's why he was trusted with, with Nicola Sturgeon with the net zero gig, and it's why he was given the health gig under Hamza Youssef as well. That's all we've got time to, for in terms of Michael Matheson, so we'll have to move on from one hypothetical reshuffle to a genuine reshuffle, at least up here in, in the Scotch Parliament. We, we don't have the House of Lords to consider when it comes to appointing a new minister. This is Alex Brown, our Westminster correspondent's take on a completely extraordinary in its own right reshuffle in Downing Street on Monday. Hello and welcome to the Westminster section of the podcast. My name is Alexander Brown and it has been a disastrous week for the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. It started on Monday where a reshuffle, we just thought Suella Bravman, the Home Secretary, would be sacked for a controversial letter she wrote in the Times where she compared Palestinian marchers to a hate mob and criticised the police and their neutrality. She said they were biased, which is pretty outrageous for someone who's a Home Secretary to say. The article wasn't signed off by Downing Street. It ran without their approval. So we kind of had the idea that she was going to get sacked on the Monday. Out of nowhere... David Cameron becomes Foreign Secretary. She does get sacked, but that kind of blows everything else out of the water. And then the Prime Minister is having to deal with his own MPs being annoyed that he didn't think any of them were good enough to be the Foreign Secretary, and it had to be someone who wasn't even a sitting MP. And the fact that his former Home Secretary was incredibly angry and wrote a letter where she basically accused him of lying and having no real interest in stopping the boats, said he was only Prime Minister because of her. This is disastrous and difficult for the Prime Minister. And this is, and bear in mind, this is just Monday and Tuesday. These are the first two days of the week. Big reshuffle. Everyone is very unhappy. Bad things are happening. Then comes Wednesday, and there's some good news. Oh, inflation's down. That's good. He's, he's halved inflation, as he promised to do. And then along comes a Rwanda verdict. The government have lost. The Supreme Court rules that the government's hopes of Sending asylum seekers to Rwanda for processing is illegal. The country has a history of sending people back to the country from whence they came, even if they're in danger. It's previously had people killed. It's not a government that can be trusted. Therefore, it's not safe. So he has his former Home Secretary angry at him. He has Tory MPs angry at him. And then his flagship promise, which he said would, you know, show that he could do something about the boats, one of his five key pledges, actually he can't do. So they spent £140 million on the Rwanda scheme. That's just the Rwandan government, plus maybe 60-odd more on PR and legal battles. And they've literally sent more journalists to Rwanda than they've sent asylum seekers. It's disastrous. The government is in a dire dire straight and Richard Sunak's polling on Thursday was the lowest for any Conservative Party since uh, I think the final day or week of Liz Truss. How do you turn it around? Well, they're not going to leave the European Court of Human Rights, so Tory MPs are still angry. And instead, they're now trying to argue, the new Home Secretary, James Cleverley, is trying to argue that it's fine, actually, because the RAND scheme is already a deter deterrent. 
So it's impractical, it's not working, but apparently it's already a deterrent. There are no easy answers to the crisis of migrants coming to Britain and fleeing persecution. But the Prime Minister chose to support a scheme announced by Boris Johnson before it had even been agreed, planned and checked whether it would work. So Tory rebellion, Tories in crisis, some Labour MPs resigned over, uh, resigned the shadow cabinet over Gaza, but not enough to have a real impact on Kia. The vote was lost anyway. Rishi Sunak is a Prime Minister at the time of recording, but letters are going in. Things are bad. So thank you very much for that, Alex. Alistair, last thought on Michael Matheson. I mean, you you mentioned it earlier, that that statement that he did make was one of the most extraordinary things that we've ever seen in Parliament. I mean, can you think of anything that matches it in terms of pure parliamentary drama? I I can think of moments that match it. You know, I remember when Derek Mackay was forced to resign on the back of his scandal on the day of the Scottish budget and Kate Forbes having to stand up and deliver that. And that was a moment of pure parliamentary drama. But I just think in in terms of someone standing up and the unexpected emotion of it, I think, Mm -hmm. I don't think people expected, particularly someone like Michael Matheson, to get so visibly emotional during the statement. Yeah, it was, I can't think of anything quite like it. Absolutely. It was well worth watching the statement if you can at home. But thank you, Alistair. Thank you, Alex, as well in London. And thank you all at home for listening. We'll see you next week when we may or may not have a new health secretary. Bye-bye for now.